Everyone, if they can make their way back in and find their way to their seats. And if you have your Bible with you or on your phone, you can turn to Joshua chapter 3 as you get ready. And as Mark said earlier, my name's Joe Crummy, and I have the privilege of speaking this morning. And we're going to be taking a look at uh, and continuing our series from the book of Joshua. But first, I have a question uh, to get us started. And here's a question that you can be thinking of, and you're actually allowed to give an answer. So this is your participation for this morning. And the question is this. What are some big obstacles that you have had to face in your life to get to where you are today? So let me repeat that again. What are some big obstacles that you've had to face, either personally or maybe together as a family, and we're even going to talk about in a little bit us as a church. What are some obstacles that you've had to face, that you've had to get through, around, over, under, through, in order to get to where you are today? If you think you have some tangible examples for us, why don't you just speak those out so that we can hear Money. Ding! Top answer on the board, maybe, for most of us. <laughs> Finances. Money. Financial issues. What other things? What are other obstacles you've had to face? Visas. Visas. That's right. Immigration and legal things. That covers a whole spectrum of things. Some red tape involved. What else? Employment. Employment. Both, I'm going to stretch that out, Darren, to say both possibly lack of employment and even when you're employed, there's employment issues, isn't there? There's obstacles even when you're employed, let alone if you're not employed. A couple more. Infertility. Infertility. I was going to say we've got health issues that we've had to battle through. And Shanice, whew, remember when you shared a couple years ago just your story and Warren. Wow, huge obstacles to have to get through. One or two more. Family dynamics. Family dynamics. Can I just say that for Angela and I, over 25 years of pastoral ministry, we've had to deal with hearing from other people about issues to do with family dynamics. We would have no obstacles in our life with that whatsoever. We're just being clear. Moving right along. No, just kidding. Family dynamics is a huge one. Relational issues whether it's blood family or in church family, just in relationships. Huge obstacles sometimes. One more. Geographical move. Another huge obstacle. And thank you, Chad, because that's a good segue into what we're going to look at today. But we've all had to face huge obstacles. And if we had time, we could look at us as a church and some of the obstacles we've had to face. And a, a lot of similar things that we personally go through. There's financial obstacles and challenges. We've had all kinds of health issues, us as a church, relational issues, family and I, geography issues, as we've even had to try to move around all kinds of different places over the years, and then even now purchasing a building and that whole process. All kinds of different obstacles that we have to face individually and together. Now, I ask that question because I'm hoping and believing that what we're going to talk about today applies to every single one of us, either individually, 
together as families, in your marriage, walking, if you're single, for us as a church, we're going to take a look at the context here of Joshua chapter 3, is that God has promised to his people that he's going to take them from where they are into a promised land. And God's given them promises, and we've seen sort of the story, and we picked it up last week with Mark was looking at Rahab in chapter 2, how God even picks unusual people, people we wouldn't even think of, to be included into his promises. And we pick up the story where Joshua and the people are heading to the promised land, but they face a huge obstacle. And it's a physical obstacle, and that's why it's good even geography challenges. They have to get from this piece of land to that piece of land, and there's a river that's an obstacle in between. And that's where we're going to pick up the story. So let's read the story together, and then we're going to take a look at, I believe, how God wants to teach us some things this morning to help us with some practical application of how do we get through some obstacles that keep us from the things that God wants for our lives. So let's read this together. So guys, we can have Joshua chapter 3, and we're going to pick it up at verse 1, and we read this. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from, and this is how Mark pronounced it last week, so I'm going to shaitem, shaitem. We, we researched that a lot, so just say that's how you pronounce shaitem, and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over, and after three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you've never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. And Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. So Joshua said to the priest, Take up the ark of the covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the, ed of the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. And Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. Woo! See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage. Of course it is, Right? All during harvest, yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground, while all of Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Woo! What a miracle. So folks, we can learn some things from this passage. Because God had given 
a call to Joshua and the people to do this. I want you to go into the promised land. I want you to obtain the land that I'm giving to you. I want you to settle in it. I want you to cast out the idols. I want you to divide the land among the 12 tribes. And I want you to establish a people devoted to God. And today, we, as Christ followers, we as a church, we're not in a physical battle to take a piece of land. We're not fighting a military campaign like Joshua. But we do have a purpose here on planet Earth, individually and together. We have a purpose, the Bible says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. We have commands to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We have these commands and sort of admonishments and instructions to us and guidelines that we're to worship the Lord God and him alone. And we have commands as a church that we're to go and make disciples of all the nations, that we're to baptize people, we're to teach them all about Jesus, that God is with us, that we're to extend the kingdom of God, that we're to bring mercy and justice everywhere we go, that we're to be worshipers of God in spirit and in truth. All kinds of things that we have purpose in our lives. And folks, we have over and over and over and over again obstacles that come against us fulfilling those purposes and fulfilling and walking in the promises of God. So we have lots that we can learn. There's big challenges, big opportunities, big dreams. However, there are big obstacles. So Joshua and the people had to move forward into God's promises with some obstacles. They didn't have their old leader Moses anymore. They had to cross a river without a bridge or a boat. They had to defeat armies and fortified cities without many weapons or military training. So we have lots that we can learn from the obstacles and the challenges that we face today. And so just a couple of things to clarify. What I'm saying today is the Jordan River represents any obstacle that sort of prevents us from going into God's purposes and plans. So those obstacles can even be sort of a neutral thing. The Jordan River is not a bad river. It's a good thing, but it prevents it what God wants it to do with his people. And some of the obstacles we face today, some of those things that we just talked about, financial challenges and different things, they're not in and of themselves evil, but some obstacles are evil. We have an enemy who wants to rob, kill, and destroy. And we have health challenges, and we have things like fear and anxiety. We have doubts. We have all kinds of temptations that come our way. So that Jordan River represents any obstacle, so the things we're going to put some application to, any obstacle that prevents us from walking into the purposes and the plans and the promises of God. And what I want to just hone in on today is that God helps us overcome these obstacles for his purposes and his plans to be fulfilled. And I just want to look at three things today quickly of how God helps us. And that's what I want you to understand. It's not us trying to figure out, man, how are we going to get through the Jordan? How are we going to get over the Jordan? And we're going to brainstorm and we're going to plan. No, it's this. God helps us get to the things that God wants for us. We're not on our own. So Tressa just shared this one. God says, I am, I am with you. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Three things that God does that we can learn from in this passage that we can apply to our lives individually, but we can apply to our lives as a church family as well. So here we go. Here are the three things. The first thing is this. If you're taking notes, and you guys all make fun of me, but it helps you remember 
I got three P's today, okay? Three P's in a pod. We got three P's here today. First one is this. God's presence leads us. So it's a simple one, but a profound one. God's presence, there's your P, God's presence leads us. Eight times we read this about the Ark of the Covenant and that that symbolizes God's presence. It's all through that passage. Verse 3, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priest carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. So folks, it's this, in a sense, this simple and this complicated, and we're going to try to flesh this out. When God moves and tells us to move, we move. When God speaks and God's on the move and God says move, we move. Now, we're going to flesh that out because in the Old Testament, and sometimes I'll have to be honest with you, I even shared this a bit with Mark in our discussions this week. Sometimes it's almost, I can be tempted to think it was almost better to live in the Old Testament. Now, hear me out, okay? I like running water and toilets and <laughs> food, okay? That's cooked, not, you know what I mean, okay? But here's what I mean. In the Old Testament, back in Moses' day, there was a huge cloud in the day, and there's a big pillar of fire at night, and when you were like, I wonder what God's will is, I wonder what we're supposed to do, I wonder if we should do this or should do that, if the cloud or the pillar of fire stayed, guess what you did? You stayed. Thank you. Um, thank you. And if the cloud went that way or the fire went that way, guess what you did? The clouds on the move were going. The fires going that way were going. And you could say, I know what God's will is because I'm following the cloud and I'm following the fire. Now we move to Joshua. Moses is dead. Things have changed. Now we've got this physical ark of the covenant, which was like a chest that was made out of precious wood and gold in and all around it. And they put the Ten Commandments in it. And that represented a couple of different things. First of all, that represented God's presence. We know God is everywhere and God rules the heavens and we can't contain God to a box, an ark. But it symbolized, and it was, God's manifest presence. God was there. And we see that there's all kinds of instructions by why you're going to be careful with that ark. The Ten Commandments put into the ark represented God's law. It's God's guidelines for how we relate to God. And the ten, those Ten Commandments, man, they serve for all, the rest of history as our guidelines for justice systems and all kinds of different things for humanity. It also represented this. It represented God's law and his relationship, and how we're to do it, it represented this. If we didn't obey those laws, what was called sin, when we disobeyed, when we broke those laws, there were consequences for breaking that covenant. So they talk about the Ark of the Covenant. Covenant stands for, these are the guidelines God has established between him and his people. That's why it's called the Ark of the Covenant. And when that covenant, that relationship, that marriage is broken, there are consequences. And as part of the Ark of the Covenant, the thing that covered the ark was called the mercy seat. And there had to be atonement for this broken covenant. How are we going to get right again? And there was this whole elaborate system of sacrifices and animals that were killed and blood that was sprinkled on the mercy seat of the ark of the covenant. The priest, the high priest did that. 
to bring atonement, to bring payment for the wrongdoing, and to bring back into right relationship in that covenant. So we kind of get a restart, that things have been made right again, that the people are right with God. So when they saying, Moses saying, or Joshua saying, you follow the ark of the covenant, it's all of those things established in there. It was God's manifest presence, yes, but it was also the relationship God had with his people that involved law and righteousness and right standing with God, but it also involved atonement and blood and sacrifice and mercy. So when I say it's just as simple as saying we're going to follow God's presence, it is simple, but folks, please understand, this is a huge thing. This affects every aspect of our lives because it has to do with God's presence, God's righteousness, God's holiness, God's mercy, God's justice. And what was all of this doing for us? Cloud, fire, then the Ark of the Covenant, and we, if we follow the story along with the Israelites, there was a tent of meeting, and then there was a tabernacle that they put the Ark in, and then David saying, David comes along, why is God's presence in a tent? We live in palaces. We need, we need a special place for God's presence, and they built the temple, and they put the Ark in the middle of the temple. And what was all of that pointing towards? What was all of that foreshadowing to come? You're allowed to answer that one. It was pointing towards who was coming, who was going to be God manifest amongst us. Thank you, Russ. It's pointing towards Jesus. That wasn't a trick question. I think you were all nervous on that one. Caleb, thank you. You're all kind of like, I think it's Jesus, but maybe this is a trick one, so I'm not going to say it. Good to stick with the answer, Jesus, okay? It was all pointing towards Jesus. And we just celebrate Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. God's manifest presence coming in human form. Jesus, fully God, fully human. The Spirit of God coming upon Jesus. It was all pointing towards Jesus. And Jesus came to fulfill the law, he lived a perfect life. He pleased his Father in heaven. So he came, remember, Ark of the Covenant, Ten Commandments, Covenant. He came and he fulfilled the law. He was perfect. But Jesus also came to deal with the justice. And Jesus took upon himself that broken covenant of his people with God. And he who knew no sin became sin for us. And that's why Christians, we talk about it every Sunday, every time we're together, we talk about Jesus on the cross. Why is that so important? Because he is the way. The biggest obstacle from us to God is our sin and God's righteous judgment that we cannot pay. So we needed a substitute. And instead of animals being killed, Jesus himself, son of God, died on the cross, shed his blood. He paid the price. He was the atonement. And his blood was poured out on the mercy seat. And there we have God just doing a miracle. Only God who is just and God who is merciful able to bring both. Justice was served. The wrath of God was poured out for the sins of the world upon Jesus. And mercy was demonstrated that we who put our faith and trust and hope in Jesus Christ to get us right with God, that Jesus on the cross when he said, it is finished, that we line up with Jesus and say, I couldn't do it, but I'm with Jesus. 
and he did what I couldn't do, and I am put myself in Jesus, and his blood covers us, and the payment, and we're made right with God. And folks, it gets even better. This is where we're going. Then he puts his spirit in us. So not only does it get better in the saying, like, okay, cloud, fire, ark, Jesus. Jesus said, I'm going to go back to heaven. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. And this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is going to live in my followers. Now, Joe, why did you just go on that big ramble? I went on that big ramble because that is the answer to when we say God's presence leads us. Today, guess what, folks? As you know, we don't have a cloud. We don't have fire. We don't have an ark. We don't have a temple. And you kind of go like, okay, Joe, I get it. In one sense, God's presence leads us. And I'm like, well, if I saw the cloud, if I saw the fire, I'd go. I'd follow. But how do we do it today? God's Spirit now lives in his followers. And the Holy Spirit, the Bible says this, the Holy Spirit is our teacher, our counselor, our comforter, our helper, our advocate. And the Holy Spirit takes the word of God that's been given to us, written down, and the Holy Spirit is the one who begins to teach us from God's word. And we have the word of God, which is our guideline, which is our standard, which is our help. And the Holy Spirit begins to teach us so that we, the Bible says that Jesus is like our good shepherd and we're his sheep. And his sheep learn to hear the shepherd's voice. And we can do that individually and we can do that as a church family as well. And we can begin to hear God's voice. And we hear it in God's general will. What is God's general will for my life? It's all the things I just said to you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Go and make disciples. Baptize them. Teach them. The Ten Commandments. The Holy Spirit comes and helps us to say no to ungodliness and yes to the things that God has for us. And then God begins to reveal his good, pleasing, and perfect will, his specific will for us in our individual lives and for us as a church. And we begin to learn to hear his voice through his general will to allow us to be able to hear his voice on the obstacles that we begin to face. And we begin to hear God's voice and God's presence to be able to hear, I want you to go, I want you to wait, I want you to take a different route. There's no one size fits all, that every Jordan we're going to come across, God's going to say, I'm going to make you walk upon dry land. We're going to do it right now. He might say this, I want you to wait. He might say this, I want you to go a different way. He might say this, I'm going to provide a different means the next time of how you're going to get through this obstacle. But what's the key? It's hearing God's voice and following the presence of Jesus manifest through his Holy Spirit. So folks, this is a, a principle that you just can't kind of condense down into. It's going to look one way. When we get to an obstacle, God's going to part the waters, he's going to stop them, and we're going to go across upon dry land. He might do it, but he also might do it a different way. What's the key thing? It's hearing his voice. 
That's the key thing. So let me just give you one practical example from the life of our church. For 12 years now, we've been renting on a Sunday morning. And for 12 years, since 2008, we've been seeking God and we've been praying and saying, God, I think you probably want us to have a building we could just call our home. The one we have right now is too small. And for 12 years, guess what we did our part? Guess what we did? We knocked on a lot of doors. I felt like a real estate agent. I could tell you all the vacant properties in Fredericton. I could tell you the price of all the properties that were for sale. What we do, in our diligence, what do we do? We knocked on doors, we found out the facts, and we did our best to say, God, we want to be ready. But what we were listening for, for God to be able to say, this is the one, this is now, here's my timing, this is what I want you to do. And we waited a long time. But we're seeking to hear God's voice and to follow the presence of God. As we begin to hear God's voice and as we begin to understand who God is, God begins to reveal himself to us so that we understand that we can trust God. That we understand that Jesus is the chief shepherd. That Jesus is the overseer of our souls. That Jesus is Lord over all. That we can sing this morning, as Joel led us so well, our God reigns. Might not understand everything that's going on, but I'm learning that God reigns. I'm learning this. I'm learning that God is a God who was and is and is to come. And that God's saying, hey, as I was with Moses, I'm with you now, and I will be with you forever. And Jesus said a similar thing. Hey, when you go and make disciples, you do all these things, guess what? I am with you to the end of the age. And then God confirms it. From his word, Tressa is able to say this morning, hey, I just want you to know, God's saying, I am with you. God is, I am. That lines up with God's word. Nancy can bring a tongue and a prayer, and Jody can bring an interpretation to saying, God has been faithful. And then we can sing a song saying, God, you've been so good to me. We just want to declare your goodness. God begins to reveal himself that we learn who God is, we begin to learn to hear his voice, and then we can follow his presence and his voice. That's the principle we want to follow. When there's obstacles, what should be our go-to first thing that we do is to say this, God, what are you saying? Where are you moving? And do you want me to stop, wait, go? I want to follow your presence. And Trevor reminded us this morning just the importance of the Holy Spirit leading us, that we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the main thing I want to speak on. We can end right there. I got two more things, but that's the main one I want to emphasize. When obstacles come our way, like the Jordan, that prevent us from entering into the purposes and plans and the promises of God, the number one thing we want to do is we want to say, God, may your presence lead us. May you speak to us. Through your general will, we want to always be in God's general will, obeying him, following him, but God, your specific will for this circumstance, for this time of life, for this obstacle I'm facing, financial health, whatever it might be, God, what are you saying? Where are you leading? And God, I want to follow you. Now, the second thing God does is this. How does God deal and help us with an obstacle? 
he says this in verse 5. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. For, if you're taking notes, the first one, God's presence. The second one is this, our preparation. Our preparation. Joshua says, Consecrate yourselves, get ready, because God's going to do something. So a lot of times, when we're trying to figure out, God, what are you doing? And what are the next steps? This is the part that God does all throughout the Bible. We see this all throughout. He says this, get ready. And depending upon your translation, it could say sanctify yourselves, consecrate yourselves. It's the same thing. God's saying this, I want you to be set apart, to be set aside, because I have a use for you. And there's certain things that God wants us to do to get ready. So when he moves, and when he acts, and when he speaks, and when he says go, we're ready. So a lot of times in our waiting, it isn't just sort of waiting just like, oh, well, we'll just do whatever until God speaks. No, God's saying this, get ready, prepare. I have preparations that I want you to do. Consecrate yourself, sanctify yourselves. God is preparing to get us through an obstacle. Get ready. In the Old Testament, consecrate, sanctify, focus primarily on an external ceremonial purification. So you had to wash your clothes, and if you touched the dead body, you had to spend seven days over here, all these external things that were how they related to God in the Old Testament. New Testament with Jesus and the Holy Spirit, guess what? It primarily has to do with internal. It has to do with our heart. It has to do with our mind. How are we relating to God? Not so much the external, it's the internal. And God says, get ready, prepare, cleanse yourselves, Dedicate yourselves once again to God. And you say, Joe, what does that look like? Well, here are some different things quickly that that looks like. First of all, I understand in a crowd this big, not everyone's going to know Jesus. And so the first thing I can just say is that if you're preparing yourself, you're like, I want God to speak. I want God to be involved in my life. The first thing we do in preparation, we come to Jesus. We come to Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If anyone wants to come to the Father, to God, they come through me. So some of the things I'm going to talk about, we've got to come to Jesus first in order for all these other things to be applicable to our lives. And as we say every week, we would love to be able to walk that out with you. So if you're here this morning and you're like, I want to know more about Jesus, I want to understand more what this relationship with God, we'd love to be able to have a coffee together and talk more about that and how that, get that journey started. How do we get prepared? How do we get ready? Well, we talk about the general will of God. Here's how we can apply the general will of God. We want to get right with God. And if any of us has ever walked with, when we know we've done wrong and we haven't dealt with it, there's a blockage between us and God. And in order for us to hear God's voice, we need to get rid of those blockages. So here are some ways that we can block hearing God and how we can unblock it by following God's word. 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So folks, if we've got sins and we've got things that are blocking us from God, the Bible's very clear. Pull a friend in, Say, I need to confess some things to God. You're a witness. 
I'm going to confess it before God and say, God, I just confess I've done X, Y, and Z, or I haven't done what you've asked me to do, and I just want to get it right with you, and I ask for your forgiveness, and I want your cleansing power to cleanse me so that I can be right with you again, I can hear your voice, that I can be a clear conscience, that I can be filled with your spirit. So Angela said, family dynamics, our spiritual family dynamics are, if we sin, it puts a blockage between us and God. And how do we get it unblocked? We confess our sins. James says in James 5 about confessing our sins one to another. We bring everything into the light, 1 John 1, 7. Just read 1 John 1 this week, okay? And that will help you out. Okay? If we walk in the light as Jesus is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us. It's the same thing, but it adds another component, doesn't it? If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So not only does sin and that block us in our relationship with God, what does it do as well? It affects our relationship with one another. So God's saying, prepare yourself, consecrate yourself, sanctify yourself, get ready for what I'm going to do. It's time for us to stop and take a time out and say, okay, God, is there anything that's blocking me and maybe blocking my relationship with others? So is there anything I need to forgive others? Ephesians 4.32. Forgiving each other just as in Christ, God forgave you. So is there anything we need to forgive other people for? And I say it every time. Forgiveness doesn't mean what they did was right. Forgiveness doesn't mean that they're not still responsible to God. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you're going to forget, but the power of what was done to you lessens when we forgive. Forgiveness isn't for the other person. It's for you. But forgiveness and unforgiveness affects us. And a bitter root, the Bible says, defiles many. It slimes other people around us. So how do we prepare and get ready? We forgive. Just as in Christ, God forgave us. What else do we do? We repent of anything. We change our mind and our behavior. We get rid of any excess baggage, sins or attitudes that hold us back. Hebrews 12, 1 to 2. We're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Throw off all the sin that so easily entangles and run the race. Jesus has marked out for us with perseverance. How do we get ready? We pray continuously. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. So again, when we're waiting, we're like, God, I'm not sure. It doesn't have time to be passive. We press into God. And folks, as a church, we've been trying to say, we need to pray together more. We need to pray together. We need to seek God forever a time. We need to be praying and seeking God together. We need to be still and know that God is God, Psalm 46. We need to remember God's faithfulness, just as we are doing this morning. We need to worship God in spirit and in truth. We need to hold loosely to possessions and things of this world, including our homes and our houses and our possessions, because God might ask us to move, as people have shared this morning. We want to seek first the kingdom of God. And the last thing on this one, God just wants us to be humble. And it was interesting. I hadn't thought of this before until I read some of the commentaries preparing for this. And I'll read you a quote from one of them here in a second. God let them look at that flooded river three days. So I just thought it was interesting because I read a lot of Bible or a lot of Christian quotes and it says, you know, don't look at the obstacle, look to God, and which is 
we want to get our eyes on God. I, I get it. But God says this. There's the flooded river. Go camp next to it, and I want you to look at it for three days. It's kind of like, you're like, God, shouldn't we be looking to you? Why, why, why? Shouldn't you just keep us kind of hidden from the river? Because we don't want to see how big the obstacle is. <laughs> and then when we show up, we're kind of like, oh, I'm glad I didn't know how bad it was going to be, but God's going to get us through. No, God does this. I want you to, three days, not only I want you to look at the river, it's flood season. That's a really big river. You know what? It's actually bigger than it usually is. You know what? There's no other time during the whole year that's going to be this flooded and this big. What does God do? I want you to look at this for three days. Now, why did God do that? Why did God say, I want you to see how big the obstacle is? I'm going to read you a quote. And this guy is Arthur W. Pink on Gleanings in Joshua. I'll just read it. I couldn't say it better than him, so I'm just going to read it from him. So he says this. Why? Why would God do this? Why would God have them look at this river for three days? He says this. What was the Lord's object in this? Was it not to impress Israel more deeply with their realization of their own utter helplessness? Was it not to shut them up more completely unto himself? Little language from a few years ago. And is it not very often the chief design of God's providential dealings with us to bring us to the end of our own resources, to make us conscious of our own insufficiency by bringing us into a situation from which we cannot extricate ourselves, confronting us with some obstacle which to human wit and might is insurmountable. By nature, we are proud and self-reliant, ignorant of the fact that the arm of flesh is frail. And even when faced with difficulties, we seek to solve them by our own wisdom or get out of a tight corner by our own efforts. But the Lord is graciously resolved to humble us, and therefore the difficulties are increased and the corner becomes tighter and for a season we are left to ourselves as Israel was before the Jordan. It is not until we have duly weighed the difficulty and then discovered we have nothing of our own to place in the opposite scale that we are really brought to realize our impotency and turn unto him who alone can undertake for us and free us from our dilemma. But such dull scholars are we that the lesson must be taught us again and yet again before we actually put it into practice. God brings us a lot of times to our obstacles and he makes us wait so that it forces us to call out to God. And you remember Gary had a word a couple weeks ago about being desperate and he read out the definition of being desperate. And that God allows and sometimes even puts obstacles in our life that forces us to say, God, there is no way I'm going to get through this unless you come through. God helps us through our obstacles, through his presence, and we follow God's presence, and we learn to hear God's voice, and we follow him. God helps us get through obstacles by saying this, prepare yourself get ready. Do all that I've told you to do so that you're in a position to move. And then the third thing is this, and we'll finish with this. Our third P is this. 
I had to stretch this one a little bit, okay? Plant our feet in obedience. We've got God's presence, we've got our preparation, and finally, it leads to action. All of this leads to action eventually. We plant our feet in obedience. The priest touched the water's edge, the water upstream stopped. I don't even know what that would look like, but it stopped here and it went down here, and amazingly, it wasn't even mud. They walked upon dry ground. And all I could think of when I was reading that is one small step for man, one giant leap for the Israelites. <laughs> Obedience to God's word and leading and instruction usually starts with this, one small step. So you think of that big obstacle flood, you're like, God, how are you going to do it? Are you going to miraculously build a bridge? Are you going to bring an armada of <clears throat> boats to come and take us across? God says this, I want the priests to touch the water. I want them to put one foot in. And you're kind of going like, God, I'm not sure about this. A lot of times, the breakthrough to an obstacle is simply this. We're obedient with one small step, and then God does the heavy lifting. The obstacle is huge, a nation crossing a river at flood season. Put your toes in the river's edge, obey, and see what happens. Pink says this again, one little quote from him. They knew not how the obstacle was to be overcome, and for the moment that was none of their business. Their responsibility was to proceed along the path of duty so far as they were able and count upon God's continuing to keep that path open for them. They didn't know how God's going to do it. But God said, put our feet in. I'm going to put my foot in. I'm going to be obedient with one small step. And then God took care of the rest. So folks, here's some application for us as individuals, and I'm going to give some things for us as a church. Maybe your obstacle is a temptation. Maybe an obstacle is like an addiction or some stronghold or some pattern that just trips you uh, and that's your obstacle to getting through to the things God wants for you. Maybe one small step is just to take God at his word in James 4, and it says this, if we draw near to God, draw, God draws near to us, resist the devil, and he will flee from us. So what's the proactive step to resisting the devil? It's not to take on the devil, it's to draw near to God. And he will draw near to us. And guess what? If you're doing that, that is resisting the devil. You guys have heard me say it over and over again, but it says it's a thousand little choices of obedience. It's one small step. I'm not going to do this, and I'm going to turn to God instead. It's one small step. You're going to think, what would one small step make? I need, I need a big breakthrough. Yes, but a lot of times it starts with one small step of obedience leads to another small step of obedience that leads to another step of obedience. And God makes a way through. Maybe it's in sharing your faith. Maybe it's fear or embarrassment prevents us in that obstacle. And we're like, God, we know it's God's will for us to be able to share what God's done in our lives through Jesus Christ. It could be this. It's just one small step. It's just I'm just going to open my mouth and just share one thing. What did you do on the weekend? Well, I went with my church family yesterday morning. 
and I heard about this. One small step. And you know what? We're going to trust God's going to open that door. You don't have to have it all figured out ahead of time. One small step. So I love what Michelle shared a couple weeks ago, just talking to her doctor. Hey, the physical symptoms have gone away. The doctor's like, what happened? I prayed. I've been praying. I got my church praying. Oh, what church do you go to? One small step. Because Michelle could have just not said. Or she could have just, you know, a generic, well, you know, just been thinking good thoughts. <laughs> no, I'm praying to God, who's God. And God's doing something. Well, tell me more. One small step. One small step of obedience. Giving, finances. Say, well, man, goodness. How am I going to do this? One small step. I'm giving nothing right now. One small step is start giving something. One small step and see if God provides. We're going to take God at his word. Now, it also might mean I need to get my act together and not spend money on all kinds of things I shouldn't be. But it's, I'm going to trust God. I'm obeying God with one small step and I'm trusting he's going to start to do other things because he's asked me to do this. He's asked me to put my foot in the river's edge even though it's a flood. So even though I'm facing huge debt and all these different things, it's a huge obstacle and it is overwhelming. <laughs> one small step. What's God saying to you from his word? One small step. I'm going to be obedient. Could be fear, anxiety, things that cripple us. Maybe it's this. One small step is I'm going to memorize one passage of scripture that actually attacks my fear. So maybe I'm going to take Joshua 1, verses 8 and 9. I'm going to take, be strong and courageous, for I am with you. Maybe that's, maybe that's your small step, that in a situation, you're going to whisper under your breath, Joe, be strong and courageous, because God is with me. He's promised he's never going to leave me or forsake me. Maybe that's your one small step that's going to lead to another small step that's going to lead to, before you know it, you're through the river. One step, obeying God, trusting God. And I'll just throw this out because I think some of you are in this place as well, and we are as a church. Verse 17, if you jump down. The priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of Jordan while all Israel passed until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Some of us have taken small steps, and guess what? You're in the middle of the Jordan on the dry ground, but the walls are there. And you're going like, okay, God did it. But I'd like to be on the other side, and I don't want to kind of be in the middle waiting for everyone else to go through. It's like, can you hurry up, people? Hurry up. I did my small step of obedience, but now I'm standing in the middle while it's all going on. And I think some of you are in that place this morning. Can I just say, that's where you're plant your feet. If God's got you in the middle and he's got the wall separate, he's going to get you through. And as a church, guess what? We've made a commitment. We've bought a building. We've sold two pieces of land in our building. We're, we're in the middle now. Okay, We've taken our steps, but we're in the middle now and our feet are planted and we're going to believe God for the whole way through. A couple of last things of application. And this is a bit of a warning. 
if we don't heed God's ways and direction, a couple things can happen. We can miss out on moving through an obstacle that can prevent us from all that God has for us individually and together. So folks, we can miss out. We can miss the experience of God's provision and miracle, and we can either get stuck or we can retreat. So in closing, let me just remind us of these three things. God helps us get through an obstacle for his purposes and plans. By this, he says, follow God's presence. Keep our eyes on Jesus. Fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. He did the same thing. He obeyed his father to get through the obstacles that were before him. We go on being filled with the Holy Spirit because then as we do that, we hear God's voice. He moves we follow. Second, our preparation. We get ready. We get our minds and our hearts ready. We get focused on God. We repent, forgive, do the things we need to do. We're humble, and when we see the obstacle, we go, God, I can't do it, but we're going to pray. We're going to pray individually. We're going to pray together as a church. Okay, we've got things that we need to face, so every time we do something with the building, just picking that because that's a good example, the money that we're going to have to spend to get it ready goes up every time. And you're just kind of like, the flood just keeps getting larger. And you just keep going like, well, we're going to pray and say, God, we being obedient, we have to trust on you because it's going to be you. And we plant our feet in obedience. We take one small step. Now, this is a bit for our church. So if you're new here, you're a guest, you can find an application, but I am going to challenge us as Christ Central with a couple of things, and this is application that we can actually do, okay? This is tangible, measurable things, because I think some of the obstacles facing our church are, I'm going to say three things. There are all kinds of them, but I'm going to, finances, growth, and prayer, so I'm going to give us tangible things on these three areas. So what are some of our obstacles? Finances are a huge obstacle. Growth. Just like, God, we want to grow with all the right motives. God, we want to see the gospel go forth. We want people's lives to be changed. We want people to experience family and the family of God, all those things. And in prayer, folks, we got to up our praying together and our calling out upon God. So here are three things you can do, okay? I'm going to challenge this is one small step that we can all do. So here's my challenge regarding growth. Every week on a Sunday morning, I want you to meet one new person. That, that's, your, that's, your, that's your obedience. If we want this church to grow, coming every week and just talking to your friends but not being aware of anyone else around you, will not grow this church. Mm -hmm. However, being a bit more outward looking and walking across the room and taking that one step of obedience to say, hi, I'm Joe. I don't think I've met you before. What's your name? If we did that every week, you met one new person. I'm telling you, I think it would change our church. So that's our homework on growth. You can say, God, and we do pray, God, Send hundreds of people, absolutely. What's our preparation? What's our one small step? Hi, I'm Joe. I don't think we've met before. Welcome. 
Can we do that? I think we can. I think we can do that. I think that's a, that's a measurable, tangible, realistic goal. But it's not just for next week, it's for the week after and the week after and the week after. Two more. Okay. One small step. Pray one more time this week than you did last week. So that might be at the prayer meeting, that might be in your life group, that might be wherever. But one small thing and one small step of obedience is I'm going to pray one more time this week than I did the week before. And I'm going to take one small step and I'm going to believe one small step and I'm going to pray against some of these, through these, some of these obstacles. I believe that is going to And then the last one, I want you to eat together more often with other people. I want you to eat together, so whether it's us as a church family or with your neighbors or with your coworkers or whatever environment, I want you to eat more together. And while you're eating, say, tell me your story. Or I'm going to share a bit of my story. I'm going to take one small step of eating together, and as we eat together, I'm going to trust that God's going to remove obstacles by taking one small step in obedience to what God wants to do. Be hospitable. Enjoy each other's company. Folks, we're always going to face obstacles, individually, together as a church. I hope I've given you some principles here this morning of how God wants to help us move through those obstacles. God's presence, we keep our eyes on Jesus. When he moves, we move. While we're in the waiting, we get ourselves ready. God, what do you want us to do? How can I get right with you? I want to be able to hear your voice. I don't want anything in the way. God, I want to plant my feet, no matter how crazy it might be. You think, it's a flood, and you want me to put my foot in the river. I'm going to put my foot in the river. I'm going to take that one small step of obedience, believing as you do that, you're going to do your work, some homework. I'm going to meet one new person every week. I'm going to take that small step of obedience. I'm going to get out of my comfort zone. I'm going to be like Jesus, who left heaven, came to earth. I'm going to pray one more time than I did the week before, and I'm going to be, be purposeful. Okay? I'm going to try to eat, have a coffee or something with somebody, and just say, tell me a bit of your story, and I'll tell you a bit of mine. And we're going to believe that as we do these small steps, we're going to see obstacles removed. We're going to go through Jordans. We're going to come out onto a different place than we were before. Joel, why don't you guys come and let's sing together. And we're going to sing a song that's really declaring. But in our heart, we're saying, God, we're trusting you in this. If you're able, why don't you stand? I just want to pray for us. That God would help us to take his word and to put it into application for his glory, for our good, and for the good of those around you. All right, so let me pray. Father, we just want to thank you for every person here this morning. God, not by accident that they're here. And God, we thank you for your word that speaks to us today. God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit who's here working on hearts. Lord, we pray, God, would you help us to put into practice these principles, Lord. We pray, God, that we would see you move and act upon it that, God, we would get ourselves ready, that we prepare, and that, Lord, whatever you ask us to do, Lord, may we take that one small step in your direction 
trusting that you're going to make a way where there is no way. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.